It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. All right, it's Talk LP Podcast time. It's your host, Amber Bradley. Thanks so much for joining us. You're in for a treat. First off, treat number one, we have guest co-host Debbie Maples, newly joined Salesforce, VP of Intel Investigations and Protective Services. Hello, guest co-host. How are you? Hello, Amber. How are you? So nice to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year for sure. Okay, treat number two, special guest, Keith White. I know you already know this man, but Chief of Safety and Security at Salesforce. Keith, welcome so much to the podcast. Thank you, Amber. Really appreciate that. Excited to be here. All right, so let me introduce you to, because I know that, you know, you don't know each other that well. Debbie, tell us, tell us about your background with Keith here. You guys are old friends. We are. So I've known Keith for nearly two decades. Um, I met Keith shortly after 9-11 when I joined Gap Inc. And um, you know what? It has been an adventure. Um, I am completely, completely um, appreciative of everything he has done as he has invested in me as a leader. Um, I joined Gap as a regional and I left Gap as a vice president. So it has been a terrific um, journey with Keith and now I'm joining him again at Salesforce. What I, what I love about Keith is that he is the epitome of calm in the midst of a storm. So if you know Keith and you know his leadership style, you will know that he has led through many crises. You know, we have Katrina, Sandy, um, 9-11, like I, I just mentioned. He's a champion of inclusion. Um, he is an emeritus um, advisory member of the IOBSC. Um, and he's a grandfather. He's a new grandfather. And so it has been amazing watching um, his family. I met him when his kids were young and they're now millennial adults and his daughters both have babies. I think that the fun fact about Keith and hopefully um, many of you know this is that he can dance. So oh. he, and nice. his wife Rose, he and his wife Rose are like, I mean, big time fancy dancers. Like, oh, so we're talking Chicago, like Fox Chicago Trot, Hustle. Tango. Oh, Chicago oh. Hustle all the way. So, nice. um, you know, I, I have, um, I have really, um, have high respect and regard for Mr. White. So thank you for um, asking me to co-host on this session in particular. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so for all you LP rookies out there, if you haven't heard of Keith White, like you need to do a little more digging in your in your explorational growth. Oh, see, so you're shaking your head only because you um, are, are, are quite an influence in this industry, especially because you know, you are known for exactly what Debbie's talking about, um, championing people and making such a huge impact in the industry. And that's been seen through your career. So for all the newbies out there um, that are going to Google you after this podcast, give us a brief history of your career and um, where you are now at Salesforce. And, you know, I know this is a long, we could take the, the 30 minutes on this, but, um, and, you know, your role at Salesforce now. Okay, first of all, a big thank you to Debbie for such a, a gracious uh, introduction and, uh, and compliments on, on the dancing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she, 
she can cut a rug herself. So uh, she knows what she's talking about. Uh, let's see, my background, um, I grew up in Chicago um, and was educated for my uh, undergraduate and graduate degree at universities in uh, Illinois, uh, Chicago State and Western Illinois University. And coming out of college, um, because I received my undergrad in law enforcement administration, I, I really thought that I was headed for um, some law enforcement agency or a three-letter agency. That was my a big part of the training um, that I went to school for. But I stumbled into uh, loss prevention. And as I love to tell the story, um, I was working the midnight shift um, at Burger King of all places. And a buddy of mine called me up and said, hey, they want me to interview for this loss prevention job, but I already have one. So I gave them your name. I said, I'm in. And by the way, what's loss prevention? <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, went on the interview and like all interview processes, they're iterative. You learn you know, from one, one interview to the next. And the more I asked questions in each interview, the more I got excited. I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know this existed. I could, you know, work on investigations. I can lead teams. Um, I can manage a budget. I can partner with law enforcement. I can, you know, impact um, the company's bottom line, you know, from an inventory loss perspective. I mean, all of those things were my, my sweet spot. And it just launched me um, into this uh, profession. And from there, um, I ended up working at uh, companies like Marshall Phil's, which was a big department store back in the day in Chicago. Um, Target, uh, spent 11 uh, great years at Target, had a wonderful time really learning the business uh, there. And then ultimately uh, landed at uh, Gap for the last 20 years and then six months ago, I uh, got tapped on the shoulder to uh, uh, oversee the global safety and security program for Salesforce. So it's been a, a remarkable uh, journey uh, filled with ups and downs, twists and turns, um, and uh, you know, all different types of uh, 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 cliffhanger plots where I didn't know how certain situations were gonna turn out and thankfully, uh, good uh, overcame evil. So that's how I'm here. Over to you, Debbie. Keith, so as we think about um, your um, passions, how different is the tech environment from the retail environment? This is, this is definitely transferable skill time, but how different is it? It's different. It's different. I mean, you know, you're looking at an industry especially at a company like Salesforce, we're growing leaps and bounds every year. Um, the uh, focus on growth um, and the focus on innovation um, is unbelievable. Um, and how they solve for issues and challenges and problems, um, you know, just, uh, you know, allows you um, to get into a very creative, you know, uh, wheelhouse. Whereas in retail, um, because it was such a mature profession and a lot of uh, their strategies and practices were set 
um, you were constantly um, working on, you know, how can I make it better? Um, how can I make it more um, efficient? So the innovation focus was in a different spot, wasn't on growth um, and, and really uh, thinking about a, a new landscape. Um, it was on, hey, the tracks have been set. Can you make this train run faster and more efficient um, um, as it goes on this particular route? That wasn't the case in every situation. Um, of course, you know, we were uh, blessed enough to have uh, a chance to innovate and create along the way, but that was the general context that you were in. One industry that was mature and another industry um, that's new um, and in many instances, many would argue less than 20, 25 years old. Um, so it's just a different uh, 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 focus of energy um, and skill level, um, and it's pretty invigorating. So this, um, that, it, it's really interesting too, because I think a lot of people are like, Salesforce, huh? You know, and then Debbie and I were talking about this, and uh, before we hit record here, and she's like, you know, it's, it's mega data. You know, it's like a totally different... Um, I thought, wow, it's a totally different mindset, you know, but as you guys have uh, excelled your careers from the typical loss prevention into all of these tech data security, cybersecurity, you know, payment for like all of these things, it's just overwhelming, which a lot of our listeners are starting out in their LP career. And we have executives, of course, listen to, but when you think about Keith White, right, I always think about, man, there's a guy that, like you said, went right from loss prevention agent, right? All, and, and excelled through the ladder without jumping around. Not that that's bad, just saying, just it's an observation of your career. So I, I, I always wanted to ask you, you, you've described yourself as pretty resourceful as that's been one of the keys to your success. So talk a little bit about that key, because if I'm out there going, okay, I get a chance to talk to Keith White. I want to know how he did it, you know, from, from down here all the way up and not jumping too much, you know, because there are good and bad pro and con with that. So tell me a little bit about that. It might be all over the place, but that's okay. No, no, no. That, that's a, a really deep question. And I want the audience to, to understand that there was nothing magical about anything that I've done from a, a career perspective. Um, it was one day at a time. And every day, um, uh, I vowed to myself to be the best to ever lace them up. So in the shortage committee meeting, um, what could I do that would separate myself from everyone else um, so that everybody got it um, and they understood that I brought value um, to the table in the safety committee meeting? Well, these are things that are very boring and very rote, right? Um, you know, it's like, oh, we have these things once a month. Oh my gosh. Um, but I saw each day um, and each opportunity, each meeting, each presentation, each store uh, visit is an opportunity to really shine and show the best that I, I bring to the business. So I always like to tell people, I try to recreate myself every year. Like, you know, I just throw away whatever happened last year. And in January, I go, it's a whole new day. Um, do I lead differently? Do I manage differently? Do I push um, a, a, a whole different initiative? Do I spend time in a department that I've never spent in? Um, but how do I get um, the most out of 
uh, my own creativity um, and the value that I can bring. And it's a day by day commitment to excellence and focus um, and you know learning um, and being resourceful and networking. Um, there is no shortcut. There's not one shortcut. Um, trust me, I've tried them. They don't work. Um, you have to take the long way home um, on all of these things. And um, there are times when you have to put in more time. Um, and I still live, a, I think, a pretty good life of balance. Um, but at the same time, I realize when you need to be on the gas and when you need to be on the brake. And there are certain moments in your uh, day, week, month, where you have to hit it. You have to go hard. You have to be on top of things. You have to do the pre-read. You have to be prepared. And then there are other times when you can, you know, drive a little slower and, uh, you know, uh, appreciate uh, the view. And But if you don't know the difference, um, it can hurt you. So that's... That's the best answer I could give you on that. And Debbie, you've been along, you've been, you know, an executive along the way with Keith. Um, so over to you. So, you know, as Keith was sharing, I was thinking, um, Keith has big, been a big proponent of the 70-20-10 rule, where I want him to talk about this a little bit, that 70% of how we develop ourselves and how we grow within the role is really by doing the job learning from um, you know, your, your team. That 20% is from um, a mentor, maybe an advisor, an advocate. And then that 10 is formal development. And I, I really want Keith to just um, share with the audience, because I know he shares with his direct reports and, and the people that are on his team, why he believes in this 70-20-10 um, role. And so Keith, if you can just expand on that, that would be great. Yeah, I, thank you for uh, reminding me of that, uh, Debbie. Uh, the 70-20-10 rule um, is alive and well. And the biggest thing I, I want people to understand is that the vast majority of your development comes from the job that you're doing today and, and how you're working and all the experiences that you're having. People actually think sometimes, and, and wrongfully so, um, that they learn when they get promoted. They really learn when they go to a seminar. Um, they learn from time with mentors. All of that is true, but a lot less so than the amount of learning that occurs through your everyday experiences in the role that you're in. And that's so underestimated because as I was saying earlier, um, a lot of people see um, a lot of their responsibilities as being a little tired, um, um, uh, repetitious, uh, I'm sorry, repetitive, and um, nothing could be further from the truth, especially if you're digging in and understanding why and challenging, you know, um, what you're doing and whether or not it's returning value um, to the organization as well as yourself. So a big focus on being the best you is a big part of the 70%. And then you layer in the mentoring um, and, and all of the support um, that you get um, in terms of your development. And then of course the 10% is the formalized uh, 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 training and development. And uh, I, I appreciate you calling that out, Debbie, because uh, uh, I think a lot of people glance over that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so oftentimes they think that 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 big win is due. How many classes can I take? How many seminars can I go to? And and that's not really realistic. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Because too, I think most people when they think professional development, it's straight off to that, Debbie. It's like, okay, wait, you know, CEUs and this certification, these three letters, this, this, and this. So um, those are really excellent points. So to back up a second, um, Debbie knows I'm I'm fascinated about uh, culture and political culture within organizations, and I was never good at it, so I had to start my own company. <laughs> but it's fascinating to me, folks that can navigate it. And I think that when you were talking about, you got to know when you go hard, but you also have to know when to pump the brakes. And I think the go hard is most people out there are like, yeah, you know, I got that. Working hard, getting there, learning, doing the work, doing the pre-read. Um, but can you give us some examples of pumping the brakes? Like maybe it's a, it's a, you know, we hear a lot of leaders going, invite yourself to every meeting and sit at the table and ask the questions. And how you're one of the first that has said, you got to know when to do that, but you also got to know when to pump the brakes. So talk about the other side of that for a second to give our folks some real, you know, meat of examples into what that means and maybe some examples of your career. Well, before I get to examples, um, I want the audience to understand that emotional intelligence EQ is real. And, you know, having a high EQ is, is for me, all the difference in the world, because I've worked with people directly who've been Harvard educated, Princeton educated, but they had low emotional intelligence. And so even with all of that intellect, um, they couldn't get people to buy into a program, a project or a recommendation um, because they couldn't read their audience um, they couldn't read how they were coming off. And as a result, um, they, they got disconnected. Um, and when you're disconnected, no one's really um, going to buy into, you know, what you're proposing. And the beautiful thing about EQ, no matter who you are and where you are, you can always improve it. Um, there are books, um, there are videos, there are things that will allow you to work on, you know, developing your emotional intelligence. Unlike IQ, once you get the IQ, that's it. You're branded forever as being whatever that number is. Um, but the EQ can always be improved. So if emotional intelligence is the foundation for understanding when and, and how to do things, you know, what I've learned uh, over the course of my career is to really work hard to understand context. So when you're going into a budget presentation, and I've been in this situation where I know in the last year, sales were down, earnings were down, um, and the focus on expense is gonna be a lot more uh, intense. Is that really the time for me to make that big play proposal for um, additional headcounts? Or is that the time for me to kind of, you know, tuck it in and see if we can be more efficient um, with the resources that we have and only ask for what we absolute need, absolutely need um, to uh, uh, exercise um, our commitment on uh, safety and security. So there's a, a read um, that you can make from a contextual perspective. So before you even get into the room, you actually have a general idea of how you want to play. Now, 
while you're in the room, someone may signal to you um, that because of the COVID-19 crisis or because of you know, what happened um, in uh, a particular uh, incident or situation, um, we understand that the risk is greater and that may allow you um, to, in the middle of your, your presentation, open up the aperture and maybe go for a little bit more. And I've been in those situations where I've walked in with a context that, that said to me, be conservative, don't ask for too much and just try to get what you absolutely need. And I saw the dialogue and I saw the exchange and I saw the openness right before my eyes real time. And I've had to switch um, and go for more. And then I've seen the opposite occur. Great earnings here. Everybody's all excited. Um, and I'm going in asking for a ton, but I get in the room and I could see um, that the uh, tone and tenor of the meeting is a much tighter uh, and that the expense ask um, is going to be tighter. And I've had to kind of grab the reins and say, let me, you know, kind of live the fight another day. And I think what people do is they walk into meetings and I'm just using expense because it's an easy example and they follow the script no matter what, you know, um, and they don't raise their head and they don't look to see if people are resonating with the pitch um, or the idea. Uh, and, and as a result, um, they get so far um, away from what the uh, tone and tenor is um, that they, they lose before they really understand why they've lost. So I think it's, 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 it's about judgment. Now, I'm going to go to another place. You also asked about politics. And part of emotional intelligence is understanding politics. And I always follow um, a rule um, that uh, you don't necessarily want to be political or engage in the politics of the organization, but you're naive if you think they don't exist. They exist. Political interests um, is the way we're designed as human beings. We want things that favor us. Um, so if you're in the finance department or if you're in marketing um, or if you're in you know, uh, uh, the field organization, there are things that you want that favor you. And there's only so much of it to go around. So how do you position yourself to get those, those things? So there's a little tug and war uh, going on and sometimes personalities get involved. And I would follow the practice of be aware of the politics, um, understand them, um, don't necessarily play the political game, but understand where it's coming from and where these, the interests are and uh, be heads up and, and, and acknowledge um, that, you know, there are some times that you're going to have to engage in some of the special uh, interest influence that's uh, going on. Sometimes you're going to take a stand against it and other times you're going to have to take advantage of it, you know, so. Oh, all really good points, really good points. So if you're playing the politics like a game of Survivor, probably not a good idea. <laughs> right. All right, Debbie, over to you. So Keith, with that, entry point, of course, I'm going to just jump on your, your, um, I think one of my favorite, I should say, it's probably not your favorite, but it's one of my favorite presentations that you give for leaders. And it's the corporate rules of America. Yeah. What's your favorite one of that? Because you just talked about politics and that's definitely a part of that presentation. But when I think about your, you know, how to, how to survive in 
in um, a corporate environment? Like, what's your favorite bit of advice? Because you have a lot of rules. I I, I can't remember if there's 10 or 100, but there's a lot of them. So I'll just give one. Um, uh, Debbie's talking about a presentation I I, I do. I, I haven't done it in a while. It's called the Unwritten Rules of Corporate America. And uh, there are several. Um, I actually did this survey of a ton of senior level executives and asked them, you know, what are the rules that you've learned that no one ever told you about? And I was so shocked that every, a number of them, I'm talking CEOs, CFOs came back at me. And one of the ones, it was, it was top three, um, came back was communication. Uh, communicate bad news, I'm sorry, communicate good news fast and bad news faster. And um, a lot of times people sit on bad news because they think it's going to get better um, at some point. It never gets better, guys. Never gets better. And when you communicate bad news, understand what you're communicating because there are times when you're just the messenger and you want people to be educated on it. And then there are other times when you have to own it because your group or you or whoever, you know, caused it. And what the executive said was if, if, if they receive bad news in a way that it was fast, um, the deliverer owned it. Um, and it was clear that, you know, here's what they recommend we do to get out of it. The news, the badness of the news starts to dissipate a little bit. It's not so bad because they expect bad things to happen. But if they don't receive it first, and it's not owned properly, and it's not clear, and it really um, looks like something that's that's bad, um, then they're more likely to judge and be critical of the ultimate um, deliverer. And uh, I, I think there's a, an art to that. So yeah, there were several things that came up um, in that little uh, informal survey um, I did, but... Um, communications is is huge um and i would argue if you're going to have a long and productive career in this field it's probably 70 percent of your skill set um and not just being able to get up in front of an audience and give a great presentation that's a piece of it uh some of it is gravitas you know can and will people have confidence in your uh, uh, uh leadership and your presence before you've even opened your mouth. Can you walk into a room and all of a sudden bring the temperature down? I'm glad Amber's here. I'm glad Debbie's here. Now we can really get something uh, done. Um, and, and, that, and a big part of that comes from your body of work and the experiences that they've had with you um, and your reputation um, and your integrity and how ethical you are. So there are times when I've been in situations where people just felt like they got better because I was there. And I was like, I haven't done anything. Um, but they know about uh, my past and, and, and the experiences that, that they've had with me. So communication, communication, communication is one of those uh, unwritten rules. Well, that's really cool. And I think, you know, you giving actual meat to that, you know, a lot of people say, be a good communicator. And then you're like, and, and so, so the bad news thing, that's, uh, I haven't heard that before. That's really, really uh, smart. Okay, changing gears a bit. Um, both of you have been proponents of diversity and inclusion your whole career. 
not just as of late, right, when it's really up in the forefront of everyone's conversation. Had a recent podcast, um, well, session for RLPSA coming up with James Fripp at Yum and Steve Antoine at Yum. And we were talking about diversity and inclusion. And, and I want to get your take on it um, because both of you have been really just huge champions of this your whole career. Um, so thinking about this huge outcrop of diversity roles in big corporations. Um, one of the things I brought up with, with James and Stephen was, you know, a lot of people, academics too, and, and consultants are saying, you know, coming up on the May, you know, one year anniversary of George, George Floyd's tragic death, a lot of people are going to be looking at corporations of all kinds, right? Retail, tech, whatever, and saying, what have you done? Like we actually have in society now a marker of when everybody got this in front of their face, like it or not, we got some issues here. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. I know it wasn't in the prep, so full on uh, sidebar, but what are you seeing out there in, you know, America society, this role? Because a lot of people are saying, look, some of these companies are this, they're glorified event planner. Let's overall call them diversity and inclusion officer. Let's have some happy hours and move on. When in fact, they really need to be focused on perceived inclusion versus actual inclusion within their companies. And what does it mean? What have you seen? I just want to get your take on it, the timing. And I know it's wrapped up in a lot, but you know, you guys both are veterans. Wow. Um, <laughs> Boom. Not yeah. planned at all. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all right. Um, you know, um, a lot of companies um, and organizations took, uh, you know, pretty strong measures um, after the George uh, uh, Floyd uh, killing. Uh, which was really uh, encouraging. Um, they uh, uh, said things and they did things um, that felt like um, we were headed for a whole new era. Um, but Amber, it's a tough question to, to answer um, because the measuring um, of one year, it's actually still pretty uh, a short period of time. Um, but the real question for me is, and, and I hate to answer a question uh, with a question, but it, it's whether or not those efforts um, have been, uh, you know, converted into a process. In other words, to your point, was it just an announcement and a, a splash in the water, but really no action planning um, to speak of? Um, or was it action planning and a process um, and goals and transparency that everybody can see? Um, because I don't think anyone's expecting, you know, some of these big corporations to be able to, you know, write all the wrongs in history overnight. But what they want to see is progress and they want to see um, a, a, a commitment long term. And if you can show that progress, um, then <clears throat> I think the answer to your question is um, people have taken this seriously. 
and they are committed to change. And I know that's true at Salesforce. There's no question about it. We are so transparent with our numbers and our progress um, and our reporting. Um, and the beautiful thing is they've always been that way. I mean, they just, um, you know, we operate, um, you know, kind of with just glass in between us um, and the public when it comes to uh, equality issues. And I think that's really where it's at. Is it hard to understand what other companies have done since the George Floyd incident? Or could you go on their website and click on a button and go, oh my goodness, they went from you know 3% minority to 5% uh, minority representation in their management um, or in their boards of directors or what have you. Can you see the progress? Not that they all of a sudden flip a, a switch and and they you know they're now uh, so called um, a diverse organization and uh, I think that's the answer. Can did, did they create a mechanism uh, for us to you know be able to evaluate whether or not this is a long term commitment or it was just a an, a big announcement? Yeah, measurable progress is super important. And I as I was thinking about your question, Amber, it's not a one and done effort. It's not a, you know, provide de-escalation training or unconscious bias training and we're done. So having measurables and making sure that you're holding yourself accountable. I think that's just a shift in mindset. There's been so much um, guarding of um, representation, whether it's by gender or by um, uh, race. I think that's important. I think this is um, for loss prevention organizations to understand what's in it for us, um, protecting our brands, protecting um, the reputation of the organizations we work in is going to be a, a constant um, challenge for, for every single person on our team. So we are as strong as that weakest link. So understanding that you, you have to have a position, you have to have a philosophy on um, being um, unbiased in when it comes to how you do your LP work. So, you know, it should be really behavioral and, um, and data-based, not because Debbie wears red lipstick. I'm going to watch her today. So profiling is that big why, um, and that goes for internal work as well. So, you know, understanding that and being committed to keeping that conversation alive I think that's one of the things that Keith has done, um, you know, over all the years that I've known him, is that he does not let the conversation um, die down. He keeps it alive and he keeps investing in his teams and he champions with measurables at that. Yeah, I think so. What's so cool too is that we've seen diversity and inclusion conversation go from, oh, that's nice. Yeah, good. Check that box. We got, you know, we're, we're doing, yeah, it's important. Two, this is a business advantage strategy. It is a strategy of businesses that is legitimate and effective, um, not just fluffy, which, you know, I think is really interesting. Okay, switching gears. I'm going to give my final question, then I'll pass it over to Debbie to give her final question. Switching gears to, this is one of my favorites. If you could rewind time and then say, Keith, okay, I am, I don't know, 20 years old, 16 years old. You pick the age, but it's younger Keith. I don't want to say much younger, but I don't know how old you are. 
a younger Keith to say, what advice would you give a younger Keith um, as they're going up in their career? Maybe life, maybe career, go. Um, I, I think the, the, the single message for me, if, if I was speaking to a younger, younger Keith, is to uh, keep the faith, um, to continue uh, to learn as much as you can, um, to understand um, and appreciate the fact that there will be people who will be big time advocates for you and they will show up just in time. Um, you will learn from them. Um, they will mentor and support you. They will nurture you. Um, even when you think that no one's around, they're watching you. Um, I've been you know, standing on the shoulders of some absolute uh, giants uh, in the industry and uh, as I think back through, you know, how I navigated um, uh, a career um, in, in retail, it was literally, you know, from, you know, one uh, mentor to the other. And some was just in, in my, my, my purview for, you know, maybe two or three weeks, but what they said or what they did was phenomenal. And then others have been there the whole time. Um, but to keep the faith, um, to continue to learn and just know, um, that you'll get the support um, and um, advocacy um, that you need to uh, uh, build a career. And don't rush it. Don't rush it. You know, uh, uh, smell uh, 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 the roses, enjoy the view, uh, make uh, lifelong um, relationships, um, help others um, along the way. Um, it, it all goes together. So. Awesome. Okay, Debbie, over to you. Well, because he ended on that note, I'm going to go back to, you know, the, the Keith-isms. So Keith, some advice that you've given um, your, your leadership team is that sometimes you have to fly alone. And um, I, I, I believe you referenced that that was advice that was given to you um, in your early um years that sometimes you just it, it can be a bit lonely that's a, a good point you know the more i developed um my leadership uh, uh perch if you will you know becoming more of a leader um i learned that eagles don't flock and uh it was uh a super hard lesson because you just heard me talk about all the people who've been in my life and who've mentored and supported me along the way. But from a leadership perspective, when you're truly leading, um, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of uh, uh, comfort in, in, in flying um, or being um, in a group of people. A lot of times you're making these decisions um, and you're guiding and directing your team um on your own and uh and people are depending on you to have a perspective that's unique um and to be inspiring um and to be resourceful um on your own so yeah you, you said it well uh debbie um that uh, uh as you ascend and as you become more of a leader um, um i find that they there's not a flock of them um, because what's happening is you're starting to kind of really understand what it is you want to do for the organization and how you want to uh, message. And if you're really authentic, 
um, you're not standing at a copy machine copying, you know, what somebody else is doing in another organization. You're building it to fit that organization and, and what makes that organization special. And as a result, um, a lot of times um, you're doing that um, in your own uh, quiet uh, time. So yeah, leaders don't flock or eagles don't flock, as I like to say. Eagles, eagles soar. Yep, that's right. Well, that is phenomenal. We're going to have to leave it there. Although I think Debbie and I can keep asking Keith all oh, these questions. Man, I have He's ten probably more. like, ten more. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much, both Debbie and Keith. I really appreciate your time. I know our listeners do. So tweet us at Let's Talk LP. Don't forget to download our brand new Talk LP news app for all the breaking headlines. It's the hottest thing on the market. But thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk at you soon. Cause, cause, cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.